the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We are in a series called Four Marks of Discipleship, or Four Marks of a Disciple. And today we're going to look at a very small book. We're looking at some little tiny books that people usually don't read much in the Bible, and today we're going to look at Third John. So, go all the way to Revelation, and then back up two pages, and you'll be at Third John. And sort of the um, reality of this series, or the point of this series, is to really take inventory of our own soul and our own life before God. If uh, you were to look at the four marks that we're looking at. Last year, last week, we looked at Jude and Jude's call to faithful obedience and what that really means for us as followers of Christ. Today, we're gonna look at the topic of hospitality. But if you could uh, kind of imagine as you evaluate your your own walk with Christ, do I bear these marks? Do they define me? Do they describe me? Would other people recognize these in me? Uh, Another way to look at it was if you were being held on trial for being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would it be like, there's no way. This is not a Christ follower. And so as we get into these books, we're really trying to evaluate Christ, um, what are those marks, and how do we follow you in such a way that we bear those marks in the world? And in this book, 3 John, the writer who is believed to be the disciple, uh, the beloved disciple of Jesus, the Apostle John, is writing to a man named Gaius, who he had taught, he had discipled, he had sort of instructed him in the faith. And as he writes to them, he's essentially uh, exhorting, encouraging, thanking him for his faith, and lifting it up amongst a context where there's other believers who are inhospitable. And so as we walk through this, I want us to ask ourselves the question, uh, would my faith, does my faith, bear the marks of someone who's been with Jesus? Verse one, the elder, that's how he refers to himself, this is John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Dear friend, I pray that you may, be, you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The first, this first sort of four verses really just lay out the point that your obedience to Jesus affects other people. It encourages other believers. When you look at 
what he's writing to Gaius. He's saying that you're walking in the truth, you're following Christ, other people who are trying to follow Jesus are encouraged by you, and as someone who is invested in Gaius, he's going, I I have no greater joy than to see you love Jesus. Now, we live in a culture where most of our uh, understanding of spirituality is very private. It's your own personal Jesus. It's a privatized sort of religious experience. That's between you and God. And so we never sort of uh, speak into each other's lives, nor would we ever expect that your faith somehow affects me. But in reality, that is not how it works. Your obedience to Jesus affects other people. It encourages, it blesses, it, it, it draws other people closer to Christ, or it can have the opposite effect too. Your disobedience would affect other people. But for John, as he writes to Gaius, he's essentially saying to him that when I look at you, I feel as though my own children are walking in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to see my own kids loving Jesus. If you're a parent and you're raising your children to love Christ and they hit 20s and 30s and they absolutely love Jesus for themselves, not because of you, it will give you amazing joy. He's saying that this faithfulness of this guy, Gaius, actually has the power to encourage and bless other people. And so when you think about, would I be convicted for following Jesus, one of the questions would be, do other people experience blessing when they're around me? Do I help them get closer to Christ? Does my faith in the way I live actually encourage other believers? And the significant way that Gaius has actually encouraged those other believers is through hospitality. Look at verse five. He says, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on, a way in a, on their way in a manner worthy that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. The significant way in which one of these marks of obedience affected these people was through Gaius' hospitality. And biblical hospitality is essentially loving care that's expressed to strangers. Now, we understand hospitality as something that we do for friends and families, which is true, and that's awesome, and many of you are gifted and great at that. But biblical hospitality pushes it a little bit further. It pushes it to the point of taking care, lovingly caring for strangers. Now, We're sitting here going, why in the world would I ever do that? I mean, we are taught from early on, what about strangers? 
don't talk to strangers, right? Stranger danger. We, we teach people that. We teach our kids that. And there's enough crime and enough violence and things like that that we do have to, like, it's true that there are some dangers involved in this. And yet, throughout the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament, hospitality to strangers just carries all the way through. And so I want you to look with me at three reasons why we should actually consider being hospitable to strangers like Gaius was. In Leviticus 19, it says this, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. One of the reasons why we show hospitality to strangers is, is, as he writes to Israel, is because he says, you've been there. You have been the stranger. You have been the outsider. You have been the one who has wandered around in somebody else's land. And you you were dependent upon hospitality at that point. It's part of your story. And I think for us, we go, well, that's not part of my story, right? I didn't wander around, and we all believe ourselves to be self-made, right? So, So essentially what you have, what you own, where you live, that's all stuff you did for yourself. You were never in that place of dependency. But one of the things that caring for strangers does is it, it levels the playing field with our stories. Like everything you have, you've been given. And even if you say, no, I earned it, you earned it in a job that was given to you using gifts that were given to you. Like understanding ourselves under the grace of God is the understanding that all is given, nothing is earned. And so when we look at the stranger among us, the other person, we we are called to understand ourselves before God and realizing that without the grace of God, I would have been there too. And so I don't see myself as other than you, but I see myself with you. A second reason that we should practice hospitality comes out of the same book of Leviticus. And he says, if your brother becomes poor and can't maintain himself, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. The second reason that you should show hospitality to strangers is because you have been in need before God. You know what it's like to be in need before God. When we think of people who are in need and this call of hospitality to show care and concern for them, again, calls us back to a place where we see ourselves under the grace of God. And we recognize that That as this person is in need, I have been in need. That every week we come to this communion table, which screams out how needy we were. And in that place of need, God has shown grace and mercy 
and provision. And so you get to, in this sense of hospitality to strangers, we do it because we know what it is to be in need before God. The other thing that I love about this is that it it changes this whole understanding of charity. Hospitality uh, brings people together. So rather than this sort of economic hierarchy of here are the rich people who help the poor people, here are the healthy people that help the sick people, God actually calls us to something called hospitality, which means here are the people who care for each other. And so we move from a place of charity to having a meal, to having a guest over. We go from the other person who you're helping to actually treating them as though they were a stranger who was just visiting you. And all of a sudden, the humanness of caring for each other comes out in the, in the idea of hospitality in a way that it can never come out in a way of charity. That we all sit together at the same table. We're all provided for by the same God. And we're all playing our role in a different way. And so, so thinking of the stranger that God calls us to show hospitality to is understanding that I've been in need before God and the answer to this person's need isn't charity, but it's, it's hospitality. It's being brought to the table with me. And the third reason why we should practice hospitality Uh, Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and the mighty and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Love the stranger, therefore, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. It is in God's nature to care for people. That's why you and I are called to practice hospitality. Because in caring for people, it reveals what God is like to them. It is what God does. And so those who bear the mark of someone who is following Jesus should bear this mark of hospitality because in doing so, we're revealing God to people. So we practice hospitality because you have been in need. Everything you have is gift. You have been in need before God and he has graciously met it. And thirdly, because It's in God's nature to care, and when we do that, we reveal God to the world. Now for Jesus, when we get to the New Testament, hospitality was radically important for him as well, and different than we may think in the sense that more often than not, he was the one who was receiving hospitality. The God who spoke creation into being is actually started a a ministry where he was depending on other people to take him in and show him hospitality 
in order to provide for his daily needs. So you have these great scenes of Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners and all the religious people are out going, why is he at this party? Why is he with these people? Because he's just receiving hospitality. You have the picture of Jesus when he's brought into a Pharisee's home and the Pharisee is really not showing him very good hospitality. And a woman comes in with this jar of perfume and she anoints his feet with it and she wipes his feet with her hair and waters them with her tears and kisses them. And the Pharisees look on in sort of their, their uh, charitable state and they're like, if he knew who this woman was, he would not be allowing her to touch him. And Jesus turns to the Pharisee and says, I came into your home and you showed me very little hospitality, but she has wiped my feet, she has kissed me, she's welcomed me, she's anointed me. And he uses this woman's worship of Jesus as a picture of what true hospitality really is. And then in sort of the moment of moments in the upper room as they sit there before the Last Supper, Jesus gets up from the table and he says, I have longed to eat this meal with you guys. And he clothes himself in a robe and he wipes and washes the disciples' feet. The God who spoke the universe into being is basically on his hands and feet and he's wiping the dung and the dirt off of Peter's hobbit feet, right? (laughs) I mean, it's a picture of such humility and such service, but he also turns and says, this is how you should treat each other. That when you practice hospitality, and you express the love of God through loving the stranger and the other, then you reflect God to the world. Which means that anyone who's not in your circle of friends or family is free game to show hospitality to. Now, obviously you should show it to your friends and family too. Don't start snubbing your in-laws because you know them. Um, You still show hospitality, but we're saying that there are believers who you will minister to, uh, who, who are serving Christ, and you help the gospel go forward by caring for them in various ways, giving them a place to stay, helping them financially, moving them forward in what God's called them to do. And then there will be non-believers And in your relationship and care for them, you will provide a way for them to see Jesus. When we serve the stranger, we serve God's purposes. So Jesus says in Matthew 25 that whatever you do for the least of these, you've done it to me. We don't see the stranger through the lens of of someone lower than me or less than me, but we, we see them as Christ. And you would have Christ over for dinner, my guess is. You'd have Christ to your table, in your home, 
You'd be available to Jesus to care for him and to help him and to treat him with great respect and great dignity. And so the point of hospitality is that as you serve the stranger, you serve God's purposes. At Imago, we realize that as a church, we are here to really do three things. Pretty simply, we make disciples, we serve the world, and we plant churches. And in serving the world, we define that with four different things. Hospitality, justice, mercy, and evangelism. Hospitality, that seems like a weird thing to put under serving the world. But the truth is that the mission to the world begins at your dinner table. And that the gospel goes forward simply and profoundly as you show love to people who are strangers in practice of hospitality. And in those conversations and in those relationships, you find space to tell people about Jesus. That is how the gospel spread in the early church. Much of it was through this practice of hospitality, embracing the stranger, loving them like Jesus loved them, and explaining to them the hope of Christ. So our vision here is a vision that lines up with scripture, that we are to be people who practice hospitality to the stranger. Now, at the very beginning, as he talks about Gaius, uh, it's really obvious that his gift and love that expressed itself in hospitality towards the brothers and sisters made a huge difference It moved the gospel forward, it edified, it encouraged, it filled people up. But there's also someone that John writes to that doesn't practice hospitality. And their disobedience has a profound effect on the community as well. So look with me at verse 9. He says, I wrote to the church... But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Then he goes on to recommend to him another brother that he's going to be caring for and closing remarks. But this man, Diotrephes, who has some kind of conflict with John and has some kind of influence and authority in the church, but is extremely inhospitable. And this shows up in a a number of different ways. John says he loves to be first. So the idea of serving and giving yourself away and all of understanding that what you've been given is to bless people with, he doesn't have that mindset. He loves to be first. And so he's thinking constantly about himself. In order to retain this place of being first, He slanders the other Christians 
and other leaders. So rather than being open to care, he's actually breaking down the church. And then finally, he rejects God's people. They come and they're strangers, and even though they're followers of Jesus, he could care less, he kicks them out. And then when other people show hospitality, he kicks them out. And his disobedience and his unwillingness to be hospitable hurts the gospel. And it creates conditions where people begin to fight among themselves and to be possessive of their stuff. And it's a, it's a, a fractious sort of thing as opposed to a place of love and hospitality. And so here we are with these two pictures that John gives us. Here's Gaius. And Gaius is someone who has been so marked by Jesus that hospitality is in his nature now to show love to strangers, to care for the other. And John says, that mark that you bear, Gaius, it's an encouragement. It blesses the church. It moves the gospel forward. It shows the character of God. This is what all of our faith has been about, all the way back from the Old Testament to now. And then he lifts up this other person, Diotrephes. He says, this sort of self-centered, self-focused, self-protective, self-obsessed attitude is the very thing that shows you have not been touched by God yet. You haven't been touched by God yet. And yet we're trained from a very, very young age to be this way. In a culture of consumerism, and and self-obsession, God comes and says, you're actually going to be selfless and self-giving and everything that you have, you've been given and it's been given to you to turn and to bless and to care for the stranger and the other. So in very, very strong language, John lifts up this mark of discipleship. And he says, practice hospitality. You go be these types of people in the world and it will bless believers. It will build up the church. It'll move the gospel forward and it will reveal the character of God to the world. Go practice hospitality. Now, we have objections to this. Like we know why now, we know why it's important to God, we know what the point would be, but there's still these inner objections like danger. And the truth is we live in a culture where there is danger. And I don't have an easy answer for that other than you need to have discernment. And, and if you don't feel comfortable bringing them into your house, then there's other ways to show care like food and support Money, availability, time, connecting them to resources, relationship. Whatever those dangers are, my guess is that we probably fall on the, the side of overprotection than underprotection. So it's also okay in the midst of that to risk a little bit. 
One of the other objections to showing hospitality to strangers is that uh, you'll be taken advantage of. I'll be taken advantage of. as a church that, that happens to us. Well, the truth is that could happen. It could happen. You live in a world that, that has people that are bent on themselves and they may take advantage of you. And we come to a table every week where we take advantage of God, his grace and his mercy. I mean, you can imagine if you were part of the Trinity and you were planning to come down uh, for the son to die on a cross and to forgive sins so that we could bring people into relationship with God. And we're like, but wait a second, wait a second. They will take advantage of you. And that's true. I've done it a million times. And yet the risk and the scandal of love and grace is that God is willing to reveal himself to us, offer his grace to us, even if we were to take advantage of it. So Jesus says, hey, if, if somebody hits you on the cheek, give him your other cheek. If he steals from you, go find him and give him, give him the rest of your stuff. He's using these extreme examples to say what? It's not about hoarding. It's not about, it's about having something that no one can ever take away and giving that to the world. What if I don't have time and I don't have energy? I think it's a great question. But the reality is that... Um, John's not writing something that comes out of Gaius's uh, great time management. He's not going, Gaius, I write to you because you've organized your life well, your priority well, and you have every Wednesday night available uh, for three hours for the stranger. He's not saying that. He's saying that the energy that you have to love and to serve and to give this away, this has come from God. This is the energy that comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's an energy that creates space in your life, space for you to share with the other and with the stranger, right? That's the energy that we lack. That's the energy that we need. It's not, it's not just better time management, but perhaps it's... it's a priority of love, a priority that you want to see the gospel going forward, and a priority that you want your life to encourage other people as opposed to hurt them. So as we look at this call to practice hospitality, I think about us, I think about the building, but I also think about our neighbors and our homes and people that, that you have yet to be in relationship with and God calling us today to practice hospitality, biblical hospitality, to love the stranger. And what would it look like for thousands of people to go out and begin to love like that and care like that? And to create space to stand with the other person in solidarity of our need before God. And to rejoice that we have a God that cares and has met our needs in Christ. What would it look like for you to practice 
hospitality. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, wouldn't it be great? Because if you're on a witness stand for trying to be tried for being a Christian, that wouldn't probably be great. But let's say you were up there and you had stranger after stranger after stranger coming forward and testifying that they had received love from you, that they have experienced God because of the way you live. That would change everything. It's simple. It's as simple as your dining room table. It's as simple as taking a couple hours and paying attention and noticing and caring that we would be people who practice hospitality. And isn't it amazing that as we come, uh, week in and week out, we come to a table, right? Like Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he says, you know, what I, you know what I couldn't wait for? I couldn't wait to share this meal with you. And he washes their feet, welcomes them, brings them in, and then he breaks the bread and he pours the wine. And the symbol of his sacrifice and his salvation is the hospitality of a table that is set for you week in and week out. A table that is set for you when you were strangers and when you were alienated from God so that you could come and receive what you do not have, the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. And that that would create energy in you to go and do the same for others in practicing hospitality. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we come before this table that you've set for us in our great need. And I pray that as we come to it, we would we would experience your grace and your love and your mercy that we'd be captured by what a good and wonderful God you are and that we would be motivated to go out into the world and practice hospitality and that we would love the stranger. We would take everything that you've given us and we'd use it to lovingly care for people that you love and care for. May we bear the mark of hospitality as followers of Christ, I pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www dot amago de community dot com